Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review wherever you found this podcast, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself connect with us on social media, whether it's on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can follow us on Facebook, the Longhorn Republic, where we do our post game live streams. You can always shoot us an email, LonghornRepublic at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that our friends over at the Texas X's Houston chapter are running their scholarship uh, golf tournament this year. Again, it's going to be Saturday, September 26th. It starts at 8 a.m. It's a shotgun style format. Uh, so they're going to start a little bit earlier than they did last year because Tech uh, is scheduled to kick off that uh, that Saturday at 2.30. So we want to make sure you can get out on time uh, at Wildcat Golf Course. So you can find more information about the tournament and sponsorship at TexasX's.com. Uh, breakfast, lunch, and on-course snacks are provided as part of your entry. There's also some raffles associated with it, uh, a package to attend the 2020 Houston Open, as well as two tickets. This is really cool. To attend the 2021 Texas Exes Scholarship Dinner with a uh, marquee speaker of Earl Campbell. Uh, you also will have player gifts and swag bags. So if you're in the Houston area, uh, we'd, they'd love to have you as part of the event. You can register at TexasXs.com. You can also, if you're not in the Houston area like me, you can go to TexasXs.com and purchase a raffle ticket there and try to get uh, your shot at like you know getting to see Earl Campbell speak live. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's listened to Bun B every moment of every day since Saturday. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh man, I, I I was hyped. Uh, shouts to Andy Wall. I, I saw her uh, kind of tease this out on Twitter before the the fact. I was hyped to see it uh, in real time. Of course, Bun B providing the new uh, Texas Game Day on Longhorn Network kind of intro song. Um, good to have uh, Bun associated with the University of Texas. Just every Texas icon needs to be associated with us, um, and especially if you're you know one who's found a way to be relevant in multiple decades by reinventing yourself seamlessly and geniusly as, as uh, Mr. B himself has done. But uh, Gerald, I have a feeling we are going to have some fun talking, not just Bun B, but the thing that I talked about game day at UT actual real live, admittedly not the, the strongest opponent will play, but football, football, Gerald Bun B. Instagram influencer now. It's his latest phase of his life, which is just absolutely... He's got, like I think, a million followers on Twitter, too, which is super, super weird. But, again, we're not here to talk about Bun B, even though I could, for quite a while, love me some UGK. We're here to talk about Texas absolutely putting the boots to UTEP. We knew it was going to be a lopsided game. We knew it was going to be lopsided. But when we saw the line was at 44, it was just like, that's a big number. That's such a big number. And then, well, come to find out, wasn't big enough. Texas came away <laughs> with a record-setting day. It was a massive, massive, massive 56-3 to win over the Miners, setting offensive records on setting offensive records both as a team and from the quarterback himself, Sam Ellinger, doing things that even Vince Young did not do. They put up 689 total yards, 481 of those came through the air and 59 points. All of those are high watermarks for Tom Herman in his uh, time at the University of Texas, which is just absolutely incredible. Uh, the 56 
point margin of victory is tied simply for the number one spot because you guys remember the 56 nil win over San Jose State a couple of years ago. So big time performance from the offense. Kyle, just from a 30,000 foot view, like how good does it feel to have a season opener like this? It's just Texas goes out, they bully a team that they should bully, and we walk away with the, with a, a win and minimal, I'll say minimal injuries. Like, I don't want to sit here and toot our horn and say how elite we are because of this game, but I mean, season openers, unless you're playing Notre Dame like we've done in the past, it could potentially be a good team. We're playing a marquee kind of season opening out of conference opponent in the first week. Um, season openers typically fall in the, the good, the bad, the ugly category. The good is this. You know, it, I'm not going to say it's anything is great. It's good. It's good because you, you do what you should do. We've had these in years past. Um, the bad is when you go out and you play a team that you know you're so much better than, but you go in, you know, it's 14 to 10 at some point in the second quarter and you have to get a, you know, a quick touchdown to go up 21-10 in the halftime before getting like a 40 to 16 win over a team that shouldn't have even been on the same field as you, right? Like putting the game away, never having in doubt, not showing any glaring issues, um, that, you know, that that's, takes you from the bad to the good. The ugly, obviously, is your Maryland's teams that you you, you don't even get that, that ugly win against, you know, you, you just lose. Um, so the fact that you get to put this certainly in the good and not have to think about it, just lock it away in the box, is great. That's how openers should be. They should be a nice exercise. You move from scrimmage speed to game speed. The next step, obviously, is to, you know, uh, g- great competition speed, elite competition speed um, that you'll have in a few weeks. I think Texas Tech will be a step up. We'll talk about that, but certainly looking forward to OU and some of the other uh, best of the Big 12. But um, that's all that is to say it's not one giant caveat. You still have to go out and do all the things right, no matter who's a po- uh, you know, the opponent. Uh, some of the numbers that, that, that Sam put up and the, the offense put up, it's tough to do that, you know, against the, the 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 third team practice squad. It's tough to do that against air. You know, I I, I was very very pleased with our next man up mentality. Whoever was there was willing to step up for this team, this offense. Um, and, and ultimately, I mean, just fun. I smiled a lot. I felt good. I felt easy. I laid back and just let the game consume me instead of being on the front of my seat, crumpled up in anxiety. So I uh, perfect in that sense opener. Um, I think we said it in our instant kind of analysis after uh, you, not a ton of injuries. We'll have some updates on that. Some, some that, you know, will play a little bit of an effect, but nothing uh, catastrophic I'll say. So that's the other win that I take away from this. In my mind, this is like the perfect opener where you win big over a team that you should absolutely dominate. So check you get not just the twos, but the threes, some reps, but you maybe the fours. Maybe, yeah. Some fours. I mean, walk-ons, right? And you walk away with even stuff on film to correct. I think that's the that's what I really like about this is that this wasn't a perfect game. They're, they're, Brendan Eagles kind of played sloppy. Some of the offensive line play was a little sloppy. I think running backs missed some lanes. There's stuff on film to correct, and you still won by 50, 53 points. That, to me, is a sign of at least a shift in trajectory. Because, I mean, last year they won decently big, right, in the opener, and then kind of the season went sideways on them due to some injuries. But, like, this is easily the most successful opener under Tom Herman because, well, the first two were Maryland, so you got that going for you. And then last year's win uh, over, I believe, Louisiana Tech, right? It was a, it was a decently sized win, but nowhere as lopsided. I mean, Sam could have sat in the second quarter if they wanted to, but they – 
let him finish the half and they want him to experience and get back in the rhythm of coming out after halftime. Totally get that. So in my mind, like this feels like a perfect uh, way to start the season because you win big, you get some some guys some credit or some some playing time, and you're still able to have a lot of coaching with a with a free week after this. And so let's just go ahead and talk about uh, the offense and, and Sam Ellinger and what he did. Uh, named the Walter Camp Offensive Player of the Week and the Big Twelve Offensive Player of the Week as well. Went uh, 25 of 33, so a 75 percent completion uh, percentage, 426 yards and five touchdowns. He also just had three carries with 12 yards. He set a Texas record for yards and a half and touchdowns. Uh, And this is interesting. We'll need just one more 400-yard game, which I guarantee you will happen this year, to take the school record for 400-yard games in a career. Got the ball to eight different wide receivers or tight ends, seven of them. Had touchdowns, Josh Moore was the high watermark, Uh, six receptions, 127 yards, and a score, Tariq Black, not far behind, I say not far behind, 40 yards behind, five receptions, 80 yards, and a score. Uh, The running backs had an okay day, we'll talk about them just a little bit, but let's talk about the passing game first, Kyle, real fast, because I think that's that's the big story, and Tom Herman said it uh, in his Monday press conference that they wanted to get this group of guys in rhythm, that's really why you'll see the lopsided rushing and, and passing numbers. But this group that we didn't really see a ton of separation, some guys had some big games, and I think Texas is going to have um, a, a large committee of talented guys to make plays at wide receiver. Oh, yeah, and I mean, it just real quick before we get to the, the guys receiving it, I, I want to say Casey Thompson did pretty well coming in, obviously had two touchdowns in his time as well. But this is a Sam Ellinger-led team. That's a Heisman-caliber performance to open. I, we've had opening games with great quarterbacks in years before, and that's probably the single best. Obviously, it's a different era from the era that some other guys played in. But, I mean, he did everything needed to do, and it, it was a Heisman caliber. That was a your best player is your quarterback, so let him do the thing as long as he's on the field. Um, that was every bit as good as Baker, Kyler, or any of the recent Heisman have done in any of their games against no matter the opponent. So, um, you know, just to say that, and again, if you want to do pimples on the prom queen, I think out of his eight incompletions, three of them were on miscommunications to Brennan Eagles. So, I mean, it's it's uh, it, it's drops more than Sam just absolutely missing receivers. So, you know, let's just get that number closer to Colt McCoy levels of, of of 92% completion. No, I'm kidding. It, it was a perfect game there, but you have to give credit to the receivers. You have to give credit um, to a group that we've said repeatedly is so talent-rich but has not had a chance to prove it. I think, Sam, I, I kept joking coming into this game, only had two receivers uh, on the roster with more career catches at UT um, than him. Um, one of them didn't play in Jake Smith, so he only had one guy at the receiver position with more career. Again, UT catches them him, but we, we quickly saw um, that that didn't matter. We had a lot of guys who were willing to step up, and when Sam's throwing a great ball like that, just what you want is guys to secure it, guys to run the right route. Um, I, I will say this, just again, I keep talking quarterback when talking and receivers they ran good routes but it, it would be you know a comeback route or an out route where as the receiver broke sam's timing was impeccable the ball was released into their hands again receivers have to catch that but it makes it easy for for just about uh any of these guys and and, and i will say i think washington had two i think he dropped one but had two great catches where he went up and adjusted for balls in the air whittington uh like you said climb the ladder to go get one up uh above a defender that was just a fantastic catch of show of his freak athleticism in that 43 yard catch that he had um the receivers definitely helped make sam's uh, numbers look better and his job look easy, right? I think the, the biggest one to start right off with is Josh Moore. First play of the game. 
78 yards. Um, they, they ran a good scheme with that play action that froze the defense. Sam put the ball just so perfectly on the money. Moore caught it, extending his arms outside of his body, catching it in stride. The safety took a, a quarter of a step wrong and just, just you know, gave him that space, misplayed at the angle. And Josh Moore's too fast. We saw that. Um, he, he's fast and he's quick both, which is very dangerous uh, for, for the, you know, the yak attack, the yakatory, the big yak, um, you know, uh, Yik yak. This is this this is what I'm looking for all season. Yards after contact from running backs, yards after catch from receivers. And we saw more do a ton of it. Again, Utah's not going to be the best tacklers that we face all year. But that was that was elite. That was as good of a play from Texas receivers as we've, you know, we, we've seen I don't know, outside of Devin Duvernay, um, the past couple years. I mean, it, it just felt like that was back to the Quan Cosby, Jordan Shipley, like, you know, elite receivers making elite plays um, type of play. And I think, you know, overall at 127 yards was our leading receiver. I think you're going to see a ton of that this year. Um, he, he's still not the bulkiest guy, so I don't necessarily want to see him being our possession receiver taking hits across the middle because I think he can be a game changer with that speed. But I think Josh Moore is the guy who stood out, obviously, for me and, and just projects really, really well in this Big 12 when he's going to be getting some one-on-one matchups. And then Tarek Black, who... We knew was good. We knew he was good in high school. We knew he was good at Michigan. He had some injury issues, but we knew the talent was there. But like, how quickly will he show it? Well, immediately. I think he he very quickly showed why he immediately cemented his position at the top of the depth chart. Um, and and I think he's a guy who will contribute all season for us. So I think you have a very clear one and two right now. I think Jake Smith coming back will have something to say to that. Um, but I mean, there were guys one, two, three, four, five all the way down. You know, I think talk about Pachetano's predictions, but there were guys all over the depth chart. Whoever stepped up just made plays, made stuff happen. Um, I, I couldn't have been happier with this unit. Yeah, and, and you mentioned, like, who's the possession guy. I think uh, Tariq Black's got a little more bulk on him than than your your guy more. Uh, I also think it, it could be something to look at. Um, or Marcus Washington, I think he's a guy that I think can be your big body possession receiver as well. But and you and Kyle, I'll just go ahead and give you credit. Your your Podstradamus for both of these categories came out really well. Uh, you you're you're up two nil, and we'll talk more about what rules for Podstradamus predictions <laughs> later on. If we're going to keep score, uh, just because Kyle, you're going to find a way to to game the system to win. And that's totally fine. But I think the the thing for me that I was impressed with with the receivers is really like. It wasn't the top guys. It was the rest of the guys. Brendan Schooler came in and had a catch on his first play that looked really fluid, really athletic, and then a couple plays later went, what, 40 yards for a score? So, like, that, like, and he stiff-armed a guy. Like, it was really impressive from a grad transfer. He's only been on campus for, like, a week and a half, basically. Um, but the fact that you've got, what, two, like, nine guys that had multiple receptions, basically – that's impressive, and and that's kind of what a Yersich offense is going to be, where you're going to have a dude, and then you're going to have a bunch of guys that have a bunch of catches, which I'm totally fine with. And um, you know, the Tom Herman said in his Monday press conference that they prioritized the passing game because they wanted to get these guys in rhythm and get some uh, yards under their belt. And so what cost Texas, and not necessarily cost them because they won by 50-plus points, is in the in the ground game, which is where my Potsdamas prediction missed, right? Where they prioritized the pass game because they felt pretty confident with their with their running back unit. But something that I talked about in the inside the numbers, I do an inside the numbers piece every Sunday, and something that we we knew going into this game is that it was going to be running back by committee. We knew it was going to be running back by committee, and so. When you consider the committee as one person, they basically had like 22 carries for 120-ish yards and a score. 
averaging like six plus a carry. It's like that. If you consider those three as one, that's a really good outing from your running back. Yeah. If that's, if that's a single guy and I don't mind that, like I, I don't mind having, you know, three guys with, with 600 to, to 750 yards on the season. That's one really good running back. You just split it up and split the amount of hits that they're each taking uh, divided by three. It doesn't necessarily help you, you know, have guys playing on Sunday or in, in running backs in the Heisman conversation, but we once saw down to Foreman have like, 450 carries in a season, not win a Heisman, um, and, and we didn't win a lot of games either. So I'm happy with the the, the way that you use them that works. Um, I will say they, they classified almost our leading rusher uh, as they classified the, the Hudson Card RPO that he hit Malcolm Epps uh, on as a 40-yard rush. Um, he was almost our single biggest rusher. Um, it just, I mean, speaking of explosive plays, Gerald, the, the crazy, crazy thing is you take away the 35 yarder from uh, Roshan, which I think he should get credit for. It wasn't, it was a hold, I guess, but I mean, he, he clearly was, was getting through that hole. Uh, regardless, he, he would be our leading rusher. And I think, again, he deserves some, some credit there. Cause I thought he ran really, really well. Um, I, I like what I saw from him out of the three, maybe um, the most, but that definitely bumps up your, your, your numbers. But um, just the fact that we had two, uh, two guys go over, um, 25 yards on for the running backs on rushes. Uh, again, three if you count Roshan. Um, and then you you had uh, seven. I think we had seven receivers with a catch more than 25 yards. That's amazing from this offense is that you have explosive plays. Obviously, again, you, you, you put in the UTEP, uh, multiply it by 0.6 or something, right? That UTEP coefficient. But I do think that overall, you saw Bijan make a really electric kind of subtle dead leg cut. You saw Roshan run hard. You saw, um, I think Keontae Ingram gets credit. He had a couple runs where he was just dragging dudes. You saw those things that each running back brings to the table that I think we're going to extrapolate and we're going to see your predictions come true because I think there is going to be later in the season when we really lean on that running game more potentially or again our ones are playing four quarters where one of those guys does break out they have a home run or they just get 15 carries at six yards a pop and all of a sudden you know they're putting up good numbers so uh, I think um, I think I saw good things from our running backs I will say I think we're probably going to talk about it next I would have liked a little bit more of those, you know, uh, school bus size holes uh, for them to run through a little bit more of just linemen clearing people out, which if you would have asked me in the preseason, if I thought this was a line that would prefer run blocking or pass blocking going man by man, I would say it felt like maybe all but one would prefer run blocking and, 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 you know, probably three of them would have a heavy or two at least would have a heavy preference for run blocking over pass blocking based on their strengths. So I, I was a little bit surprised to see that. Yeah. And, and the first thing I want to talk about, jump back to the running backs real fast is this feels like the first time in, in since Sam took over as a full-time starter that they've been able to generate some sort of ground game without Sam having to put his body on the line where he only had three carries, and I think only one of those, I think, was a call where the other two were kind of just like, I'm going to tuck it and run. Uh, and he made a business decision on those, which is exactly what he should do. So I think that, to me, was the most impressive thing. Is like Texas didn't have to rely on Sam Ellinger to run the ball, to be a battering ram, because in this offense, your quarterback doesn't need, shouldn't be that guy. And, and Casey Thompson and Hudson Carter, great, but they're, but they're not Sam Ellinger. And I don't think anybody would argue with that. And so the ability to get guys moving in the running game without Ellinger having to be a focal point is a positive thing. And now, that being said, OU, game's on the line, and it's, you know, two-minute drill. 
Sam will go Sam, and, and that's totally fine. But I think not having to put his body on the line in a game like this to generate a ground game. Well, you, you even saw it. I think at least one of his runs uh, was was a third down. Basically, they spread everyone out. They went, dropped eight guys back, and Sam just took a nice little six yards in the slide, got the first down, and then went out and threw a strike the next play, right? If that's the way Sam Ellinger's running, and he does that four times a game for 26 yards and, and, and four first downs, that's beautiful. You're right. I think there will be some more design runs that come up throughout the season, but that's perfect. That's where Sam is so deadly when it's, I need this yard. You have to get this yard and you use him in that in that case because, you know, I, I don't know if there's a player in the Big 12, maybe Chuba, but who I feel more comfort, uh, confident is just going to do whatever it takes to get that yard. With the ground game, it wasn't all positive. I think the offensive line looked good, not great. And I think specifically on the right side of the line, they struggle a little bit where you have um, Johnson and Okafor who are making starts at new positions and those types of things. Uh, Sam Cosby actually played really well, well enough to uh, earn a spot on Pro Football Focus's offensive line of the week. He was, I think, the only non-ACC player to make that team. I think it was three Notre Dame and a Pitt Panther. So that's it. But Cosby did Cosby things. Angulao did Angulao things. You don't really have to worry about Derek Kerstetter. So the right side of the offensive line was the, was the thing that I really, and we'll talk more about this on Thursday, some storylines that we want to watch throughout the rest of the season. That right side of the line is going to be something of interest to me uh, because if you if you become a one-sided running team, it becomes really easy to defend. And so Isaiah Hookfin was a guy that they said was in the mix for uh, guard or tackle, and, and so he was supposed to be injured. He was doubtful for Saturday, and then he played with the twos. Uh, but I think... I put it in kind of the Twitter thread I do on Sunday. Like when you look at advanced analytics, most people don't credit the first three yards to the running back, right? When you look at like expected yards, they factor in that the offensive line should get you three yards. And I didn't feel that on Saturday. And I think that's the thing that I really, um, if, if again, if we're looking at something like that, I'm not concerned about, but want to see some, some change in it's getting those three yards out of the run uh, out of the, the offensive line. Yeah, I agree completely with you. I think that push, right? I think they were fine. I mean, obviously we passed more than, than we ran, especially with the ones. And I think they were fine in pass protection. The UTEP couldn't beat them one-on-one that line. It, you know, Sam took <laughs> – it was funny. The Longhorn Network was really trying to show Sam's taking a lot of hits. And I think two of them were fair. He, he got a little hit. But one of them, the guy kind of came up after then just put two hands on him. I was like, if that's all you can find. But they kept his shirt pretty clean, right, for the most part. Um, it, but you're right. I, I do think that – the explosiveness, the pancakes, the putting dudes on their back. I would have liked to see that more. I would have liked to see, uh, you know, a, a guard getting a first level and, and then making his way up to a second level because the first dude's on the ground and our running back is past him. Um, I, I'm sure that her hand also didn't miss that. So I think that's something they're stressed, whether that's other guys getting a shot on that right side with the wand or it's, you know, something schemed or again, maybe, maybe they really just weren't emphasizing it enough or, or, or showing anything special because they didn't need to for UTEP. And so we'll, we'll see something more dramatic come out uh, against Texas Tech in, in two weeks. So uh, we'll, I'll give this one a wait and see, but I, I was not, this is probably the area of the team that I was least enthusiastic about for, as a whole unit. There was individual performers, but as a whole unit, I would have probably liked to see a little bit more oomph. Yeah, and I think the offensive line is going to be something to watch for the entire year. But overall, this is this is finding, a, again, you know, a, a blemish on what was a really strong outing from the offense that they, uh, they said would, quote, stay pretty vanilla. So Texas came up with a massive offensive performance against UTEP. The defense obviously had a great game, right? You only give up three points 
you only give up, which I didn't think we saw um, numbers like this anymore, but just 233 total yards granted against UTEP, but 43 rushing, 190 passing. I believe 43 uh, is a low watermark for Tom Herman. Uh, Just 3.2 yards per play, and really... They could have pitched a shutout if not for like a weird 30-yard completion on like third and nine, right? That Like that's a play that UTEP makes four times out of ten and it just happened to be the 40%. Um, Joseph Osai we thought would be a, a, a dude and he was, led the team with eight tackles. Josh Thompson played really, really well. Um, the one thing that I was concerned about, Kyle, and, and you know, my Padstradamus prediction that I, the, I missed on both of them, but the, the defensive one, I, I was – not unimpressed is not the right word, but I feel like the defensive line should have been able to generate more pressure than they did against the UTEP ones early in the game. And that's the thing that I think if we look at all of the, the defensive performance, it was good again, three points and 230 yards, but like the lack of, of backfield pressure on quarterbacks for me was a little, uh, was something to keep an eye out. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was, I think two pressures, all game and two sacks that both came with the second unit later in the game um, in the second half after the ones were clearly out. Um, that's not great, but I also – I don't think with the ones or the twos, I saw Chris Ash dial up a single blitz, and I don't think that's necessarily indicative of how we'll see the rest of the season. When we talk about vanilla on the offense, I think it was vanilla on the defense as well, right? Let's run our, our base kind of quarters and, and, and let these these uh, cornerbacks man up and let's uh, let's kind of set the edge and, and, and stop the run. Um, I think UTEP, again, I, I talked about it a little bit, before the podcast, but Dion Hankins had a hundred yard game against their first opponent. It was you can only be as good as the people across from me, as we've said this whole podcast, but had 120 something yards against Stephen F. Austin. So that's why Court Jockers got the start. And they they loaded up the box a little to stop UTEP's run. And UTEP kind of immediately said, Uh oh, we can't run against these guys, you know? And they couldn't run up the middle and they couldn't run on the edge. And they pretty much just couldn't run. Um, they kept trying it, but they never really had a whole lot of success. I think in the second unit, they they got half their yards on like the in the fourth quarter on on you know a couple uh, a couple runs they strung together, but they really had no luck. There was no joy to be found running the football for a team um, that I think wanted to, even though they they have a couple decent receivers for their for their you know conference level, wanted to establish a running game, and so. Um, Texas lined up and, and you didn't see probably what a Jack is going to do. And is um, a lot of people are saying, what is that position? You probably didn't see the, the most advanced and glorious stuff that they're going to run. You didn't see a whole lot of stunts at all. If any, you pretty much just saw a base defense line up and go, you know, stop those guys. And they did. They almost stopped him to a shutout. Um, but for a vanilla defense, I was very impressed with that. I think Osai having eight tackles and, and one for a loss. And I think, uh, one pressure um, was all good stuff, right? For for base, let's see what what that looks like in the next week. Um, I do love that that big Alfred Collins came in and got uh, a sack. Uh, I just wanted for our listeners, if you don't follow all the Longhorn coaching staff, Jake Lange, uh, who's in the recruiting group, tweeted out that apparently his family calls him Little Alfred, um, which sounds a lot like Game of Thrones. Um, one of the umbers uh if he's little alfred i don't want to see uh great alfred um the big uh but uh yeah i mean it's you love to see those guys get that instant impact and i think you're going to see that all season he's just a monster even as a freshman um so i mean i i think there there are some things that are intriguing there um but i do think that overall 
Our defense went out, lined up, did well. Josh Thompson, uh, his interception was great. I mean, he basically had the guy covered, made the read of the quarterback, made an athletic play to get to a ball that a lot of guys probably wouldn't have got to. Um, but, you know, I would have loved maybe a fumble. I would have loved maybe another takeaway just to show that we can do it and, and we're looking to be a defense that creates turnovers, you know, to give our offense every advantage in a, in a Big 12 that's all about who has the ball most and who scores the most points. So um, other than that, again, we're, we're, we're looking for – I want one thing I will say, if you're an old school football fan and you say, why are we praising a team that gave up 233 yards against a UTEP team? The tempo that we play in, in 2020 is different. 233 yards is incredible. The, the, the better stats to look at is they average 3.2 yards per play. And that, you know, that's where you want, like if you could do that through even half of a big 12 campaign, you're an elite defense. So I'm, I'm very pleased with the overall performance from the defense kind of top to bottom. I thought looked good. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's why I included that stat in there, right? The, that's not a defensive performance to be upset about because it's, again, especially as fast as the offense played and as significant as the time of possession difference was, like, uh, UTEP spent, like, a full 10 minutes more on the field than Texas and only managed 230 yards. Like, that's a big deal, like, that that is impressive because your defense and granted again they rotated a bunch of guys in because it's UTEP and you play them all but like that to me is they spent a ton of time on the field and I hope that's not the case because in the Big Twelve that'll come back and bite you in the keister but I think um, when you're playing like this and you play that style of offense or you play the style of offense there's there's repercussions on the defense but again the defense played in front of the ball they kept men in front of them the uh, we I talked about this again on Twitter. But like even in the even in the areas where they were struggling, like I think the linebacker struggled a little bit on the RPO slants, which is a thing that's that's part of the scheme. They sold out to stop the run, so it leaves the slant open. But even in that situation, they kept the ball in front of them. And they made a good tackle after the catch. Where a year ago, a, a guy slips that tackle, runs by it, turns six yards into sixteen yards, and things start to pile up and get weird really really fast. Yeah, there were no C.D. Lambs, obviously, on that UTEP offense, but um, you didn't see C.D. Lamb tackle. Well, C.D. Lamb's an elite receiver. Let's not play. But he got drafted at least 15 draft picks higher just based on how badly he pants the Texas defense last year. I mean, it was embarrassing to watch. I mean, again, very good receiver, but he just made kids look not even, it was like it was like a big brother playing against his his little brother who one's, you know, in high school and the others in, in in fourth grade. It was that big of a difference. He was just he was clowning them in a way that I haven't seen in a long time. But there was none of that. I think what Chris Ash said, he's going to come in, focus on fundamentals, go to really teach the rugby style tackling. Um, even though they couldn't have as long as they wanted to get into drills, they made sure they took advantage of of, you know, teaching form, using contact, you know, whenever they could, as much as they could, but still prioritizing health. So I think he clearly did a good balance because there was nothing I saw. There was even, I mean, think back to Maryland, think back to, um, you know, lesser Big 12 teams that really cooked our defense the past couple years. Um, that's why we have a new defensive coordinator. But I, I will say I was impressed just with that fact alone, keeping things in front of them. And when the guy got there, there was multiple players to the ball, which is what we've wanted to see for years is a swarm. If it was, you know, uh, if it was one of the big defensive linemen, if it was if standing them up, you know, if Coburn's got a guy held up, you had some linebacker or some, you know, Adamora coming in and putting a finishing hit on him. There was always a second or third Longhorn hitting players. And that's what I like to see. Yeah, and, and Tom Herman said it on Monday that they're not really teaching anything new. We're just teaching it better and more consistently than we have in the past, which I think is 
that's fine. Tackling is tackling, right? Keep your head up, put your your head across the front, and and tackle the guy. So that's like that to me is is um, indicative of the shift. Is that we're being more intentional about what uh, they're teaching them. The play of the game for me on defense was was freshman coming in, uh, Keaton Crawford, who, again, has had very little time with this staff, um, but is a guy who's really renowned as a cover corner, um, stepped up and, and put a UTEP running back with the, one of the best form tackles I've seen in the last four or five years at UT. It wasn't, hey, I got to go put my shoulder through a guy. Uh, we'll talk about BJ Flash in a little bit, but a man who made his name against USC with a couple of those big hits. Um, this was... There's a guy in front of me. I'm going to run full speed. I'm going to break down, wrap up, immediately take him to ground, step up, and be ready for the next play. That's it. Like, that shouldn't be that noticeable, but that was that was exactly what we want to see. Absolutely. So uh, we'll include BJ Foster in the injuries and other things section because uh, we don't want to talk about the special teams real quick. Uh, Deshaun Jameson had a punt return touchdown called back, which was eh, it was kind of iffy. I'll just go ahead and say like it was it was a block in the back, but it was really a block in the back. Like where, where was the head position? Right. Flip mm-hmm. that head around, get it across the front. You don't get called for that um, again. Better than last year because Texas isn't in the negatives. Uh, Cameron Dicker. Uh, I, we talked we talk about it all the time. He's great from shorter than 40, and he's great longer than 50. But something in that 40 to 50 range is just weird. So he hit from 32 and missed from 43. Again, it's so weird that, like, that distance has been his bugaboo for the the three years now he's been on campus. And 12 for 19 in his career, 63%, is not, like, get this guy off a scholarship. He's terrible. Um, but you know, it is an area that you would think he, he would, he would be better just given how good he is overall as a kicker. And again, I think he's a guy who is just going to keep getting better. Um, so I'm not too, too worried about it, but I would love to see if he could end this year somewhere about the 75 to 80% from that range, um, to really be the elite kind of level of big 12 kicker to be, you know, in the hunt for the, the all conference kicker to be looking, I mean, he doesn't have to be Justin Tucker to be looking to continue a line of uh, Longhorns in the NFL. 63% isn't bad, but when you look at his like career numbers in comparison to how good he's been elsewhere, like that's, that's, it's just not, it's, it's a trend to watch is what we'll say. Uh, So injuries and weird things that happened. Um, Jordan Winnington injured yet again, uh, a slight meniscus tear. Uh, he's going to require surgery. Herman said it's nothing major, nothing reparative, just a, and I quote, snip and clean out. So uh, he's going to be out for three to four weeks. Uh, but they did say that Jake Smith will likely be ready for Texas Tech. Rehab is going well for him. Josh Thompson uh, left the game with, I was worried it was going to be a, a concussion, but apparently there was a big laceration in his ear uh, that took in, again, Tom Herman, quote, too many stitches to count, but he was back at practice and ready to go. Dele was cleared to play, but did not. Uh, the coaches felt like they could hold them out for this one. Uh, and then BJ Foster, who probably anticipated his career going a little bit differently at this point, quit mid-game, got frustrated with things, quit mid-game, and and then was accepted back to the team uh, later that evening slash the next day. Tom Herman said on Monday that he will pay his penance, which is terrifying, and it will be water under the bridge. So for a team that's trying to uh, stay healthy to get through a shortened season and get to a conference championship. The Whittington injury sucks. Jake Smith will be back. Josh Thompson's already back. BJ Foster walking out is weird, but we'll see what that turns out like. Like, there's just you know you don't like to see the injuries, but um, one guy 
that was a huge piece and a spot that's really thin. That inside wide receiver is tough to see. Yeah, I mean, out, out of all of those, I, I, I'm most optimistic that Josh Thompson, who was graded as a you know pro football focus number two cornerback in the country last week, is is not you know too serious. Um, it, Whittington is like he's like you know two more injuries in his career from being an all time. University of Texas, what if, right? Like, I don't, I'm not wishing that on him. I just, you know, you want a guy, he has so much potential. You saw it in this game. You've seen it in high school. You know it from his recruiting ranking. You know it from the way coaches talk about him, the, the videos you see in scrimmage and in practice. Um, what he, you know, was a few looks in the spring game last year. Uh, you know, he has the talent. Like, it's just that that matter of keeping it healthy. We're rooting for him. I can't wait. You know, we, there was a point we wrote off Jordan Shipley. I'm not comparing him to even as bad as Shipley's first two years were, um, but with all of his injuries as being unrealized potential. And then obviously he went on uh, to really have an unbelievable, one of the best two years ever in the history of the Longhorns. So l- let's just say that, you know, Whittington has the talent. He just needs to be able to, to make everything line up. But the, the Foster news is interesting. Um, I, I get many, many people text me asking, you know, the inside scoop. We, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the true process that, um, a player goes through to enter the transfer portal. I don't know the, the like how you do that. You know, if you log online, transfer.portal.ncaa.com or what. Um, but I don't think it was long enough that he even, you know, had a chance to log online and think about it. Um, but I will say, if you think back to your NCAA 14 days, Tom Herman spends all a good chunk of his recruiting uh, XP on convincing players to stay and talking them out of the portal. He would have an A plus rating at that. Um, You know, let's now just work on um, not getting guys to enter that portal or think about leaving. I understand the idea um, that again, you, you expect to be starting at this point in your career. You you've never not been the alpha dog, the big guy, the all state player, the all American player. Um, It's weird to not have that. Hey, I'm a freshman. Okay. I can understand that, but I'm still playing some whatever, but like, I get it. I get it. It's tough for these people to swallow. So I appreciate Herman being able to connect and communicate with these guys, talk them out of it. But like, maybe it's just the era. Maybe we'll never see that again, but I would love to see less of these where you and I are reporting on X, Y, Z decided not to transfer. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to spin this positive. The fact that you got a five-star guy, who's pissy that he's not getting enough playing time means that that one Texas has recruited and evaluated and developed at a high enough level where it's finally competitive, where you can't just walk in and be the man instantly. You got to fight for it. You got to compete for it. And so the fact that BJ Foster is having to fight and scrap and struggle to the point where he let his attitude get the best of him. And this isn't the first time that BJ Foster has made a dumb decision. Hashtag broke my hand, punching my car. Cause there was a hit and run. Now, granted I'd be pissed if there's a hit and run too, but again, the car always wins in that situation. Uh, but like the fact that Tom Herman is running a meritocracy, which I don't know if we've seen that right. truly in years, because like, Mac Brown definitely didn't have that going for him. And I think in some ways Charlie Strong didn't have that going for him either. And so I, I the culture and people are taking shots at like a 20 year old kid for losing his temper when he wants to play. Like I get that. And that's a whole nother conversation, but like the simple fact that guys are having to fight so hard for playing time mm-hmm. that they're like, I can't see the field if I'm not at the top of my game is a positive thing in my book. Now, again, you don't want guys quitting, and that's an attitude issue on one guy, and I don't think it reflects poorly on the system and the organization and the coaches. That's just a a kid making a dumb decision in the heat of a moment uh, because he wants to get on the field. 
And they said he'll, Herman said he'll pay his penance to be water under the bridge, which I appreciate, right? Give these young kids a second chance to prove. Um, I, I do think, however, right, like we didn't talk about it enough because of the weird offseason that this was. There's seven new coaches on this staff. They turned over both coordinators. There's new schemes. There's new systems. You get recruited by a certain guy. That's your coach. Like, credit to Sam Ellinger. Charlie Strong was his guy. He's made it happen under Tom Herman, but that's not always the case. When it's a different scheme than what you bought in and said, this is where I want to go to college because I can be successful in this scheme, or even, all right, now I am here and I fit here. Wait a minute. You just move the X's and the O's, and now I'm not necessarily the best fit for the way that you want to run this. That's tough, and there is going to be turnover inevitably. I think they had less during this offseason than I expected, to be honest, right? to be perfectly honest, just because of – probably the pandemic and, and, you know, less people jumping ship and, and just saying, all right, whatever it is, I'm going to hunker down and make this work. Um, so, you know, this is not crazy or out there. Our first game uh, with a new scheme and, and people not, you know, feeling that they fit. So I, I like that you spend it positively, Gerald, and I'm going to choose to be positive about it and, and, and say that uh, heck of a future we expect for, for Mr. Foster back on the team. And, and we'll, we'll love to have him be a fan favorite after and remember, remember, use this as a remember when. Yeah. And, and I'll say one last thing on this and, and then we'll move on. Cause we're, uh, we're having a lot of fun today, but <laughs> if you're, if your opinion on BJ Foster is that he's soft or weak, remember how he played with a shoulder brace for two thirds of the season last year, when he yeah. could have packed it in after OU and having a massive shoulder injury reevaluate because that dude is not soft that is a tough sum gun if i've ever seen one so that's it for the football portion of this other than kyle is up 2-0 in the potstradamus predictions we'll talk more about that when we do our potstradamus predictions later on uh in the show in in the week when it's game week because uh we got to get some standardized scoring rules on this kyle gerald i i I don't really understand i definitely understand that you said 2-0 and i appreciate that what what is it that you're crying about? If I mean, if you want to save that for a different podcast, I'm just dying to know how this is anything other than a celebration of my masterful predictioning. I went way more specific than you did, and so if we're gonna, if we want to play the vague, the vague game, we can we can go that. But it's fine. So totally specific. Fine. I gave totally you specifically fine. at least ten wide receivers. That's going out on a limb for again. Sure. I knew. I knew what I was looking at, did my did my crystal ball, looked at my notes, read the tea leaves, talked to my sources. You know, I, I, it's it's going pretty far out there. It may be a little vague because I didn't say Dylan Schooler um, and, and Kai Money, my boy, would be two of those guys. But uh, uh, check it out. You know, that's just what happens when you, you, you possess the crystal ball such as I do. We'll 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 we'll, uh, we'll we'll wrestle this out on a later podcast. Uh, but we do want to talk real briefly about uh, the soccer team. The soccer team uh, took the field on Friday, the first uh, game since the COVID shutdown. Uh, Chris Del Conte finally got to shave, much to his wife's happiness. So soccer took the field on Friday. Unfortunately, they came away with a one 0 loss to the Kansas Jayhawks. Really helmed and, and propelled by a. Really incredible outing from keeper Sarah Peters, who came up with seven saves. Texas had seven shots on goal and just couldn't sneak one past her. That's tough, and especially it was 80 minutes. It was nil-nil. Both teams were playing good defense. Keepers were playing well, obviously. KU uh, keeper was the better because she kept a clean sheet. But, um, yeah, 81st minute they broke through, and that's a tough one. Uh, But, you know, it's a short season, uh, so every match definitely counts. But, uh, yeah, let's hope Texas can regroup quickly. And they should. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum 
brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? So, uh, keeping with the women's sports, I mean, I think I've tried to, to keep an eye on, on – uh, are women beyond the 40 acres who've gone professional and what they're doing, especially in the WNBA. And you looked at what's happened in the bubble with the NBA. And I feel like the WNBA has been kind of the, maybe the unsung heroes. They were the vanguard. They were the ones stepping out first, the first ones um, putting a stand down and saying, you know, no, this matters. And, and no, we're not going to sugarcoat it. It's very specific. It's very simple. Um, all lives matter. And that includes the black ones, right? It, it's, it's, we aren't going to sit here and say nothing until everyone agrees on this very simple principle, right? And, and I've, I don't think the WNBA players have gotten enough credit. Um, and, and one thing that I appreciate is, again, women's sports being in in, in the lead. I, I, I saw um, the Texas volleyball uh, video that featured many of the players was, you know, um, lauded by many of the ESPN personalities and retweeted. NCAA volleyball tweeted it out. Um, they're kind of being the, the spokespeople for um, the volleyball season getting ready to kick off. I'm so glad that, again, it's originating um, from the women of Texas the leadership on uh, this matter and they had a, a short video you should all watch it, I think 40 seconds but it was a script written by uh, our own Logan Eggleston and Asia O'Neill again letting the people who are a part of it be the voice and and own the message I think is incredible and is incredibly powerful this isn't something that you know an SID is is writing up and handing to these women to to read um, they, they've done uh, our basketball team has done some wear some mask videos which uh, I think they wrote themselves um, and then again now you do uh, you do this with with um, a couple athletes speaking about a very personal experience um, but effectively the message was look if you care about me doing this and it's a killer spike from Logan Eggleston um, care about me doing this and it's them you know, all walking arm in arm with the protest is saying black lives matter. And I think the, the thing that I liked is they didn't try to sugar kind of coat that message. Cause I think our, our 20 something year old athletes understand something that hopefully our society as a whole will grasp. Um, that's not a controversial statement. I think all every 20 year old person at the university of Texas and is, uh, understands that it's really not a controversial thing to say that black lives matter. Um, and, and so they said that they said black lives matter. Black Lives Matter multiple times um, in 40 seconds. They probably got it in there five or eight times, which is great because, again, that's the least controversial thing that's ever been uttered in the history of the world. Of course, Black Lives Matter. I'm so proud of these women. Just I think it's an amazing job. I love that. Uh, shine some light. We've talked about the football players doing it. Shine some light on the other sports. It's not just the men's sports. We probably do an undue service of just – talking so much about them and not as much. We try to do our best to be fair and balanced to all UT sports. So we, we want to shine the light here as well. Absolutely. And again, I, I love that these young people are realizing the platform that they have in, in maximizing. And I think, you know, again, I, I spent 10 years of my life serving young, young adults and, and students and, and seeing them, seeing young people try to lead uh, is just heartwarming to me. So I'm banging the drum uh, this week actually on uh, the culture of the football team. There's been a lot of conversation online about the culture of the football team with the BJ Foster stuff coming out, but I want to draw your attention to the actual culture of the football team. So we, we mentioned uh, our friend schoolboy D uh, <laughs> who scored a touchdown, long touchdown in his first game on his first series at the University of Texas only been around for like oh we'll call it 10 days ish but following the touchdown he starts to celebrate and the man himself our friend Jared Wiley runs over to him and points at a lineman <laughs> and if you don't know what that means a cultural thing that this team does is that after anybody scores the first person they celebrate with is a lineman it's hug a fat guy which again <laughs> 
Call Sam Cosby fat. Try it. See what happens. <laughs> but because, and Tom Herman has said it, football is a game about moving people to a place where they don't want to go against their will. And so the linemen are the most important people on the field. And so they want to celebrate that. And there's been a lot of talk about, oh, the, the, the culture is bad. And, and Tom Herman's got, you know, giving the players too much power. You know what? As somebody who, again, I'm, I, my, my day job, I'm a leadership coach um, and trainer and in the corporate sector. If I see a leader who's got their team correcting and checking each other, that's a win. If I see a leader who's got their team on the field, in the trenches, that's correcting and coaching each other, that's a leader that's winning. And so the BJ Foster thing is weird. And it's not, it's, the optics are way worse than it actually is. Because I guarantee you what he's going to have to deal with and face in the leadership council on that team and the guys that he lines up with time and time again, like that accountability is way greater than having to roll the length of the field three times. That level of accountability and, and the the simple fact that Tom Herman is willing to run a true meritocracy and have the three-star guy start over the five-star guy and then willing to say that kid made a dumb decision because he's a kid, he's 20 years old, and we're going to bring him back and he's going to have things to deal with, but we're going to accept him back. Like that's a culture that you could win with. That's a culture that I like to see. And it's a culture that I just don't feel like we've had at Texas for a very long time. That's capital C culture, Gerald. I think you're, you hit the nail on the head. That's the stuff that you, you love to see. That's how you build leaders of these young men. You, it's not just lip service. You, you have them um, you know, being the leaders of their own organization so they can take that to their future lives uh, and careers post-football uh, at the University of Texas. But I do, I mean, I, come on. You knew, obviously, that a man named Kai Money, one of Brownsville's finest football players in general, but an outstanding quarterback in his day, um, preferred walk-on, you knew the kid would eventually score a touch and you got to coach him up. You got to coach the walk-ons the same as you do the regular players. When you score, find a big guy. Come on. That's, that's Charlie strong had his core values, uh, that were very celebrated. Hug a big guy. I'm here for it. We're celebrating it. Kai money. Be better now. Be yourself, man. You're awesome. Absolutely. That's all we've got for you for today. We'll be back on Thursday to talk a bit about some storylines we want to watch this season. But Kyle, between then and now, if people want to find you on the internet, man, where can they look you up? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pre-Gamer. We're back, baby, at Texas Pre-Gamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at G.H. Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook up. Hook em. Thank you, my big guy. <laughs>